Welcome to The Exchange with KB with your host, Kirill Bensonoff. Kirill talks to innovators and business leaders who share interesting stories of their success, overcoming challenges, and actionable advice you can learn from. Visit kirillbensonoff.com and sign up for updates. Today, KB speaks with Nick Soman, founder and CEO of Decent, a company that is charting a new path forward for health insurance in America. Nick is a serial entrepreneur who scaled his first company to millions of users and sold it to Napster before becoming growth lead at Gusto. And now, here's your host, KB. Hey, Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Kirill. Glad to be here. Awesome, man. I've got so many things to talk to you about. Can we start out with a little bit of your background? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, and I was the son of two family practice doctors. And the joke that I get to make that's not really a joke is that Decent, which sells affordable health insurance for self-employed people and sole proprietors, is my last shot to make my parents proud since they wanted me to become a doctor and I decided not to do it. I grew up with two family practice doctor parents who I watched them uh, transition from the old version of medicine where they were the family practice doctors for individuals and families and they'd get to know patients and their families over generations. They'd spend you know half hour or an hour with people, sometimes same day. And they just really got to know people and were able to keep them healthy that way. And then I watched sort of as the industry changed. My parents went from saying, being a doctor is great to this is a really rough time to become a doctor. Because of the influence of a variety of factors, appointments started getting shorter. Uh, regular doctor appointments started to look like maybe 12 minutes followed by a referral to a lab and a couple of specialists. The cost started to go up. And I watched this really hurt my parents as their child and my dad would retire as the chief medical executive of a 650,000 member HMO in the Pacific Northwest called Group Health Cooperative. And he came home one day when I was about nine years old and Group Health had a hospital side and a doctor side, and it also had an insurance side. And he told me, Nick, I don't know if my counterparts on the insurance side really care about the patient. That really sparked my interest. And to fast forward a bunch, I was the growth lead at a great company called Gusto out in the Bay Area. And I left there to become a growth freelancer while I was figuring out what my next company would look like. And I immediately started paying more for health insurance for my family of four in the Bay Area than for rent, which just felt completely broken and led me into discovering some of what's been going on in this industry and then the solutions we've been able to find at decent.com for self-employed people uh, that, that are going to be what we talk about a little bit today. So, cool. So that, that's, that's really awesome. So you're working at Gusto on the growth side. And does that mean sales, marketing, a little bit of both? Uh, what were you doing there? So growth is traditionally thought of as ways to make the product uh, sales grow that don't involve some sort of a paid spend. So great examples are conversion optimization on websites or adding chat to a landing page or bolstering user-to-user referrals. These are all ways to ultimately drive more revenue without uh, having a commensurate ad spend into sort of a competitive market space. And so I was the growth lead at Gusto and helped them kind of get their growth team and their growth function up and running. Awesome. So, and, and could you talk about, I want to kind of try to drill into the moment or, 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 or the time that you were thinking about all this. I mean, do you remember how you came onto the idea of Decent? Yeah, I do. And it, it, it connects to the, the thing I told you a little earlier. So 
you know, I'm, I'm sitting at WeWork. It's pretty non-glamorous. I'm doing some projects and I'm trying to decide what I want my next company to be. I previously started a company, scaled it to a couple million users and sold it to Napster of all companies um, prior to all this. So I knew I, I loved being an entrepreneur. I also had made a decision that I only wanted to work on problems. And this is going to sound a little goofy, but I knew it was going to be hard to build a company because it always is. And I decided I would only work on a problem and that it made me cry to think deep about. And what I didn't anticipate is that <laughs> I would get my health insurance bill while what I thought I was doing was just, you know, covering in the short term for my family while I figured out my next thing. And looking at that bill almost made me want to cry, like literally cry right there at that table. And I started looking at why. And I, this is where I had, you know, the advantage of family and the business. I just called my parents and a lot of their friends and I started asking why, why is this happening? Why is insurance going up year in, year out? Why is healthcare so expensive and not transparent? And it was really what I discovered that felt to me like not only an unsolved problem, but like an industry that has not adapted and evolved the way that most have to serve the consumer, that this almost became a mission for me. You and I talked a little bit offline uh, about the importance of finding something that really interests you and really matters to you. And when I got locked on in this problem, it wasn't even like a decision. I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And, and that's kind of how we got to where we are today. Very interesting. By the way, just an interesting fact I want to point out, Sean Parker from who I believe was, was one of the Napster co-founders is yeah. now, uh, he, he has like, a, a, you know, he, he's very involved with healthcare as well. I think he has a, a foundation or, or maybe, or maybe more than one, one is really focused on cancer therapy, uh, CAR T therapy, which I was uh, uh, reading a lot about. It's very interesting. So, so that's, that's, that's just a side fact. I mean, it's extremely interesting. So, so like, um, no, that's great. I, I want to follow up on what you said. I mean, it, the amazing thing about healthcare is that all of us experience it. And for anybody who's listening, you know, I, I happen to have had some medical history. I was paralyzed. I had Guillain-Barre syndrome and I had to learn to walk again. And I went through the ringer of the healthcare system and not everybody will have that experience but everybody has a parent, everybody has a friend, uh, everybody even has a doctor that they've been able to see some of the pains that have come up in this industry firsthand. And so there's sort of a joke that's made by healthcare insiders that every business in America is actually in two businesses. It's in the business that it's currently in and it's in the healthcare business. And unfortunately that applies to the self-employed folks we look to serve as well. They're spinning out to go and do what they want to do. And then they're having to figure out their healthcare along the way. And it's just a lot. Um, yeah. Better infrastructure. No, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, as people go through life, I think that um, I can't really think of anyone who hasn't been touched by uh, whether it's themselves, as you said, or, 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 you know, somebody else at some point in their lives. I mean, they, they have a health issue that touches them, touches their lives, their loved one lives. And, and they are, they have to, you know, they have their insurances involved. So it's the I, loved ones. And, you know, you, you mentioned you have two young boys, just as I do. I think we figured out before this call started that there are the same ages, six and two. Yep. And you just can't not think about it. Right. I, I have these two little boys and honestly, you know, talking about crying, it's not my own life. I'm going to be okay. But to look at them and go, wow, you know, can we, give you better options than you have now. I think my boys are really the self-starter types and I could absolutely imagine them deciding they want to go out and do their own thing. It's very hard as a parent not to look at the people you love and think we have to do better for them. Let, let me ask you a fundamental question before we dive into decent a little bit more. Do you believe that every person in, whether it's in the U S or in the wider world should have access to healthcare? 100%. 
And I want to answer the follow-up question that might be underneath that. We often talk about this at Decent because as a team, we're tremendously ethically aligned. And one thing we'll say is, if the government of this country really pulled together something that looks like single-payer, look, there's good arguments on both sides of whether that would be a good thing from a business perspective, but let's just assume they got it right and they really were able to provide that. I would be the first one to, to be thrilled. If we couldn't find a way to help them directly, I would happily shut Decent down with a smile on my face. We are trying to solve a problem. Anybody who wants to solve that same problem of affordable care for all is an ally to me. And, and ultimately, you know, that's, that's the game here. I just don't think it's going to happen. Having had family in the guts of the HMO system and in insurance and healthcare, uh, people are talking big about, you know, healthcare in this country, but the majority of Americans actually oppose anything resembling single payer if it would increase their tax burden, which it would. And so uh, I, we're working to solve this problem. If somebody else solves it before we can get there, that's great. I, I just don't know if that's going to happen. Talk to us about what Decent's mission is and, and how you're going about delivering it. So it comes back to being self-employed. And uh, what's really interesting, you look at the context of our country, and I can even weave in kind of where we get the name Decent from. So It's a great uh, name, by the way. I really am glad you say that because some people, you know, they'll look at me very serious and they'll go, you should call it good, Nick, because this is good insurance. And uh, I, I want to explain why we picked that name. And that'll also get into the mission that you asked about. So I'm a pretty big fan of FDR and FDR gave a speech called the second bill of rights, where he talked about how in America we have our bill of rights that we've had for a long time, but it's his belief that I share that not just Americans, but human beings should have some additional rights. And he talked about affordable housing and he talked about affordable healthcare and he used the word decent a lot because it may not be the absolute top end, everything that's best for everybody, but to be able to believe that you can have healthcare that you can count on, it's decent. That really stuck with me. And you know, I, I bought that domain. <laughs> my wife won't like that I'm sharing this, but out of my home equity line of credit, uh, for $60,000 before taking a dollar in venture financing because I knew that I needed to go make this real and make this a thing and wanted to light that fire and was thankful that that I did. And we were able to raise $8 bucks in seed capital from some top VCs and obviously cover that cost. But I just really got bought in. And then because, as we'll talk about later, there's a blockchain aspect to what we do. You know, I get asked a lot, you know, do you pronounce it dissent? Because uh, it sounds a little bit like dissent. <laughs> and I have to explain no, you know, we think this is a decent thing to do and we're trying to bring decent healthcare to people. And so that's really the mission is, is starting with these self-employed people have known because for so long, our healthcare system and our health insurance system has been predicated on the notion that your employer is going to give you your health insurance. And there's a backstory there I can share if folks are interested. That's changing. There's a lot of people who think that the folks who freelance full or part-time will outnumber the number of Americans who don't by 2027. These, these, these shifts are massive, and we talk about it as a giant unintentional hole in the social safety net. We want to be able to provide for these people, not just so, let's be real, folks like me and you, Kirill, you know, can go out and do our own thing, which is amazing, and that's self-actualization. I think that's an amazing human thing to shoot for. But the other thing, and you got smart folks like Andrew Yang talking about this, automation is going to drive a whole lot of people out of W-2 jobs into independent contractor jobs or other types of employment, we can serve those people too. So I almost look at this as this giant pincher and it's already started to come. We need to solve this problem for these people who are going out, whether by choice or by necessity, and suddenly they're their own boss and we need to be able to give them more affordable options for healthcare. And that is Decent's mission. 
No, I, I agree 100 percent. I don't have the statistics to back it up, but if we think about you know how the number of contractors uh, and how it's increased over the, the the last few years, I mean, with companies like Uber, Lyft, and Instacart, and I mean, like the, the the whole sharing economy really depends on contractors, and those folks are probably struggling with exactly what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, you know, health insurance, other things that uh, that the employer typically provided. So, so you guys kind of honed in on. I mean, do I have to be a solopreneur, or could it be a small business? And I think there's some geographies that you serve. Like, tell tell us tell us why you started the way you started. Yeah. I, well, you asked you asked a couple questions, and they were both good. You asked why we started, where, and how we started, and then you asked about our eligibility. So let me let me take the first the second one first. The eligibility. You do need to be legally defined as self-employed or a sole proprietor. And legally defined as self-employed includes independent contractors. It includes freelancers. It actually includes partners at law and accounting firms. There's a whole bunch of folks that are self-employed. And these sort of skilled self-employed people and sole proprietors is who we typically will serve. But there's a lot of flexibility within that set. And then we started out in Austin, Texas. And that's actually because Austin is the largest growing city for skilled freelancers in the country. And they're super business friendly. Uh, it's also an amazing city where I had my bachelor party and I just thought, man, I'd love to do that. <laughs> Uh, it, it, they've been tremendously receptive and, you know, there's a joke in Texas of, you know, keep Austin weird. And what we're doing is pretty different. You know, I, I talked a little bit earlier about finding a way to build uh, coverage for folks where everybody benefits when costs are kept under control. And that is really different from the traditional carrier that makes more money as the total cost of care goes up. And so they really embrace what we're doing with open arms. How, how do you guys do that? Could you talk about how you actually deliver that lower priced uh, insurance? It's pretty simple. So I noticed that you had a Facebook shirt on when we were talking earlier. Um, did you happen to work at Facebook? I did not know, but, but, uh, actually my wife works for a part company that works a lot with Facebook. That's why I have the shirt. Okay. That makes sense. Well, what's funny is, you know, both Facebook and probably the company that made the shirt have reached a scale where like 80% of large companies in America, they've decided to self-insure. And that means exactly what it sounds like. Instead of paying a traditional insurance carrier to bear risk for them and take a hefty premium, they're going, look, we've got enough money to pull it together. We might buy something called stop loss reinsurance that covers really downside cases in case somebody gets really, really sick, but we'll end up saving more money by self-insuring. All Decent is doing is we're helping individuals, whether they be self-employed or sole proprietors, band together to realize the same sorts of savings as most of the large companies in America do. We want to give the individual people, I don't want to call it the, the little people, but we want to give those folks the same advantages as these big companies have. And those big companies are often saving 20 to 30% just by virtue of self-insurance. So that's what we're doing and that's why it's different. And the other thing, and this will just make it click into place, guess who wins when costs are kept under control? If you're in a self-insured arrangement, as opposed to an arrangement where somebody else, you know, takes more of the risk, but also gets more of the upside, you win. Those savings right. get passed back. And so the, the thing that I'm most proud of that we've done, we are not rocket scientists. Everybody on my team is legitimately smarter than me, but we figured out a way to make the incentives align. And as a person who thinks about blockchain, you probably think about incentives a lot so that everybody is really in it for the members to be healthy and make smart health choices. And when they do, uh, they get value and the costs go down. And that's the really special thing about Decent. 
And, and you guys, so essentially, let me just try to kind of break down how I believe uh, your your uh, the mechanics of your the uh, insurance work. Basically, a, a number of people, the larger the better, I presume, of the self-employed or or uh, you know the as you defined earlier, uh, get together and basically self-insure through you guys. Now, when they need to go see a doctor, I presume there is some kind of a network, or, or do they become part of a network that they could go see? Yeah, I, I want to make one clarification, and then I'll answer your second question, but sneak preview, the answer is yes. Uh, they actually band together in an existing association, which is called the Texas Freelance Association that takes all types of self-employed people and sole proprietors, has been around for several years serving these people. And we're working with that organization to be able to serve their membership, which is how this all got spun up. Now, yes, Decent went out and we did direct contracting uh, to build our own network. We've been tremendously successful, largely based on the efforts of a woman on our team called Molly Moore, who is super, I don't want to cuss on your podcast. She is, she is a bad mother and uh, she's been doing provider contracting for the better part of 20 years. Uh, she was able to bring in some folks early on that are tremendous large partners for us. Costco, if you're familiar with them, has an entity called Costco Health Solutions that handles pharmacy benefit management. And so all of our members get access to the network of 64,000 pharmacies that Costco serves across the country. They are not all in Costco. That's literally the number one question that, <laughs> that we get on the product side. Um, we also partnered with thousands of doctors in the Austin area, including HCA, uh, entity called St. David's, which is the largest hospital system in the world. So I'm really thrilled that we've been able to have some really partners. And we wanted to build that network on our own because we want to bring in the best uh, best and best value options for our, for our members. And I'm really happy that people have been receptive to that. Awesome. And, and I mean, that sounds like a pretty ingenious idea. I mean, it, it, and and when you talk to your members, when someone signs up, I presume you or somebody on your team has talked to some of the new members. What do you hear? I mean, are they liking the service? What's the reception like? They love it. And I want to tell you why. And it's not what you think. So here's why. Here's not the reason they love it. They don't love it because, oh, it's so cool. It's a startup. They don't love it because the website looks glossy. They don't even love it because, hey, you know, I get my specialty care and I'm covered when something really bad happens. The real truth about insurance, nobody wants to think about their insurance, <laughs> right? You, you want it to be there in the background. It's, we talk about it as a safety net. That's totally what it, what it is. Now, I'll tell you what they do love. They love the level of service they're getting because we want to make sure these people are well taken care of. And we put our phone call on our phone number on our website. People can chat with us anytime. They can email me at nickatdecent.com. It's very easy to find my phone number if they want to. And so we are really learning from our members and receptive. And the second thing they love that's very important to our model, I might even be sharing some secret sauce here. So all of our plans include unlimited free primary care included in your monthly premium, which again is lower than any other monthly premium in the Austin, Texas market, unlimited free primary care with your personal doctor. And the really mind blowing thing that people get used to, and then they love it of our membership is we are able to offer what feels like concierge primary care service through this doctor partners that are part of something called the direct primary care movement. And it feels like concierge care and you can get unlimited free primary care. You can often get it same day or the next day. The doctor will see you for 30 to 60 minutes. The secret and why it all works is that we have more aligned incentives with our members than traditional carriers do. We're not trying to refer you out to an expensive lab test or specialist in a fee for service model. So you make, so we make more money. It turns out that when more care is kept in the primary care setting, it's way more affordable 
for the patient and also for the plan. And so our doctors have these relationships that some of them will say, this is like what I had when I was a kid. I have one doctor. I can video chat with them by scheduling that. I can call them and talk to them. And they're getting, again, what feels like concierge care through the direct primary care movement with one doctor. And yet the whole thing saves a lot of money versus the traditional system of referring people out to specialists after a 12-minute visit. And so this is a rare case where I think we're able to provide a better service to people at a, at a lower uh, price point. And that's, that's what these members love. Well, that, that's, so that's, that just actually blew my mind a little bit because you, you're saying I can get uh, this, this type of concierge care, which, I mean, I live in Boston and, and you know, I don't subscribe to one of these plans, but I know that they're, they're around and they're fairly expensive. It could be thousands of dollars out of pocket per year just to subscribe to this type of service. Plus to go into an appointment, I would imagine there's like a copay for for an insurance plan. And you're saying that with for your members, this is something they get included with their with their premiums? Yeah, and I want to explain to you how, because I know it kind of blew my mind as well when Molly explained it to me on her first day in the office. Here's how. There's this existing movement called direct primary care, and we are the biggest allies of this movement. We love it. These are doctors that just like my family practice parents have gotten tired of getting ground down and uh, being beholden to insurance companies to figure out what they can do and can't do. And they've stepped out and they've spun up their own practices and their practice model is a little different. It's you pay an unlimited, or excuse me, you pay a monthly membership fee. And these fees can be affordable. It can be 60, 80 bucks a month in some cases for unlimited primary care with that doctor. All we've done and the model works because of this. We've built a wraparound plan for these doctors so that they are the quarterback for your care, both in the primary care setting and outside of it. And there's a, if you like blockchain, you like math. And so do I, there's some really powerful math at work here. The reason that the practices that you are familiar with can't do that, it's a little different. I mean, those are folks that might, you know, drive to your house uh, with a 15 minute phone call. This isn't quite the same as that, but that same model of a monthly membership that um, includes your your primary care, uh, in some cases for concierge, and in every case with DPC, because we've built this wraparound plan, when the doctor helps the patient get cost-efficient care outside of the primary care setting, there's so much value created that there's plenty of value to, to pass back to the member in the form of this free unlimited primary care. The difference is these concierge medicine practices there's no connection to the cost savings of being able to make smart referrals. But the, the problem that makes this all work is that you might get an MRI in one location in Boston and it might cost you $2,000 and six blocks away, there might be a location that would do it for $500. Think about that value that's created when you make that cost efficient option for the same quality of care. All we're doing is passing that back to the members. Does that make any sense? No, absolutely. As you were speaking, I actually just brought up a page because this is this is actually extremely interesting stuff. I'm so glad I'm talking to you because I had no idea that this even existed. So l- l- let me just clarify the direct primary care model because I, you know, the the concierge model, at least in Boston, uh, started getting uh, on the radar, you know, a few years ago, and and the thought process from the way I understood it was that. Um, the, the reason why it was, it was really, um, you know, uh, getting popular is because some folks felt that the doctors didn't have enough time and the doctors were pushing back, you know, and they didn't have enough time to, to spend with each patient. The doctors were pushing yeah. back and saying, well, we'd love to spend more time with you, but we're not getting paid enough. And that's the insurance company's fault. So what the doctors, <laughs> you know, what somebody came up with is, is, uh, is this concierge model and, and it's like, 
for people who can afford it, you know, pay whatever it is, a few thousand dollars a year, maybe less, maybe more. And then you have supposedly more time with this doctor who still bills insurance, I believe. So they're kind of getting the additional money from the patient, plus they build the insurance yeah. for, the, for the regular time. Now, this new model from just by brief uh, you know, glance at, at the screen and in your conversation, it appears that the physicians are completely bypassing insurance altogether. Am I correct? You're absolutely right. And actually, there's two important points there, and I want to emphasize both of them. One thing is these doctors have no incentive to send you out to someone who's going to keep you sick or make you unhealthy. They don't get paid more when you show up again, and when you're grouchy, they may even lose your business. They're not part of a big hospital system where you have no real option of where else to go. So they're actually competing on service. Their incentives are better aligned with you as a member. They want you to stay healthy because honestly, like a SaaS model, who is the worst SaaS customer? It's the one that pays their monthly fee up front and then they complain nonstop and keep your customer service line blowing up and then they leave. Right. These doctors don't want that. So their incentives are more aligned with yours. Now, keep the second healthy. thing that's important is if they want to keep you healthy. The second thing that's important and why DPC doctors love us, and I'm really proud of this, is that we are trying to put the insurance in the background and we help them answer a question they haven't been able to answer before, which is about half the panel, which is the, the patients for these direct primary care doctors in many cases, doesn't have insurance at all. So they already have to think about, what do I tell these patients when they tell me, okay, well, this time I really do need MRI. Where should I go? Or, hey, worse, worse yet, I broke my hip and I need coverage. Where can I get an affordable cash rate in this area? They're already answering these questions. The question they don't like is a, a prospective member will come into the direct primary care doctor's office and they'll say, Kirill, Dr. Kirill, I want to buy this, but do you think I should also get regular insurance? And most DPC doctors will say, yeah, you probably should in case you get hit by a car. And then the prospective member will say, well, if I buy regular insurance, I know a big part of that cost is the fee-for-service primary care that it's supposed to include. So I'm kind of paying twice, right, if I, yeah. if I get you as well as the regular insurance. And the doctor has to say, yeah, you, you kind of are. What we've done that's really unique is we built this wraparound so your primary care uh, is provided by these direct primary care doctors. There's no second, second and separate cost base for fee-for-service. And they're able to tell these members, nope, you know, you're coming in, you're paying me, and then there's a separate you know, fee that's for the wraparound services. And they, they really like that because it keeps them in charge. It really highlights the doctor-patient relationship that, you know, as a pedantic son of two family practice doctors, I believe must be at the heart of medicine. Interesting. That, that, that's very, very interesting, actually. So, so let's switch gears for a second. I wanted to ask kind of like a, a bigger question. I mean, lots of people in the industry or outside say that U.S. has the best healthcare system in the world. Do you subscribe to that? And if not, are there examples outside the United States that you look to for a better healthcare system? You just asked a, a burner of a question. <laughs> My question back to the people that contend we have the best healthcare system in the world is if that's the case, why have healthcare costs risen at roughly 10x multiple of the, the rising wages in this country? Why can people who earn $50,000 in a household of one not get a dollar of help from the government to cover their insurance? And more importantly, why is it that the growing number of indigent people in this country can't afford basic care? I would have to ask people, because it sounds a lot nicer than what I'm really thinking, by what measure can you even make an argument that this is the best 
we have some of the worst health outcomes on a dollar spent basis. Our care is significantly more expensive. Our doctors are so miserable that medical doctors are the single highest profession of suicide in this country. And you can hear the kid, I know it right now in me, talking about my parents. I watched this happen. I would ask those people by what measure. Now, <laughs> I could spin around and point my fingers in seven directions and tell you about other systems we should consider. There are interesting systems in Singapore. There are interesting systems in Canada. There are interesting systems in Germany. Often what you'll end up with is a recognition that it's really helpful for the government to provide some basic level of services so that it can get the care that they need and for private market sector to exist on top of that for different types of care, for different types of convenience. I think that's how it should work. And it's really only America that hasn't gotten the memo. So I won't tell you what recent president this reminds me of. But to sit here as the worst and to be trying to convince people that we're the best, it really grinds my gears. Is there, can you, can you point, can you pinpoint a single or, or, you know, a small number of factors that seems to be driving up our healthcare costs. I mean, it, it, you know, I do think yes, that I, I can, I can, I can pinpoint them very precisely for you. Okay. Uh, I know you and I both think about blockchain and so you can't think about blockchain deeply without thinking about human incentives. Am I right? Right. The sixth largest health insurance company in this country is a $16 billion company. There are three and a half trillion dollars spent in healthcare in America every year. And people assume that roughly one third of that is administrative waste and overhead. The single largest lobbying body in this country changes year in, year out from pharma, insurance, and in some cases, hospital systems. There are major moneyed interests at play keeping the cost of care going up. And for the reason that I explained that they get a bigger piece of the pie when they take a fixed cut of a growing cost of care, they are very, very motivated to keep it that way. Now, there are other things that are happening, but at the heart of it, we need to fix the underlying incentives so that people can benefit from staying healthy or else healthcare costs will continue to steal the American dream that so, brought so people here. You think the main, um, uh, the underlying, you know, pain here in the continued spiraling uh, out of the, the healthcare costs spiraling out of control is the misalignment of incentives where the private insurance companies are taking about a third as, as administrative costs and or profits, uh, including, you know, salaries for the, the C-level and, and, and other management um, and so, and, and, and because of that, there's no incentive on anyone's behalf because it's all fee for service and then the, the insurance companies are making money. So there's no, really no incentive on keeping people's health, people healthy. Is that, is that the main reason? I think you said that pretty well. Uh, I, you know, I, I won't quibble with, with details on that point, but look at who it doesn't work well for. It doesn't work well for serving the needs of the patient. And for the doctors, like my parents that got into this to help people, it doesn't work well for them. Unfortunately, those are the most disempowered entities in the entire system. And the moneyed interests that are at the heart of this are just raking in cash hand over fist. Now, I really don't want to knock everybody who works in a hospital system, and I, my parents did. I don't want to knock everybody who works in an insurance carrier. The really painful thing is this. The great majority of those people got into this business to try to help people. I truly believe that. I believe people are basically good in almost every case. But we talk a lot about it decent, about the wave is always bigger than the surfboard. When your ultimate master 
is fiduciary responsibility and you make more money when the total cost of care goes up, it's very, very, very hard to swim so hard against that incentive that anything else but that can happen. And so I don't think it's evil. I think there's some unfortunate second degree impacts of some regulatory changes that have created this system where the default system, my dad used to say, if an alien came down to the United States and tried to evaluate the purpose of our health system, they would say that it is designed to maximize reimbursable events. And that's, that's just what we're seeing. And I want to come back to DC. That's the thing that we've done that I'm proud of. We have found a way to make it so that rather than benefiting when costs go up, we benefit and our members benefit when costs go down. Everything else is common sense. If you could do that, you would make the prices transparent. You would try to get as much information to people on value as possible. And so actually, I know we're going to talk about blockchain a little bit later, but I want to tease where we're going with all this because I'm really proud of what we're building. But we started with building uh, an ability for self-employed people to band together just like big companies and get better rates on their health insurance. Let me ask you, what what is your health insurance today? Who are you using? We have as a family Blue Cross Blue Shield. Okay, great. So I just want you to imagine something with me for a minute. Imagine you got an email tomorrow from Blue Cross Blue Shield and they said, hey, Kirill, we're making a couple changes for you and your family across our system. The first thing is we're open sourcing all of our price and quality data across our networks. You know we have it. We're, we're going to make it available to you. You can get the best in class data on price and quality. And then the second change we're going to make is when you and your family and the people you love make smart health choices that help you stay healthy without spending a lot of money and breaking the bank. Every time you make a smart choice like that, that's good for you and good for the system, we're going to reward you with a little bit of stock in Blue Cross Blue Shield. Think Amazing. about how that would change your behavior in the short and the long term. That is what we are building in the long term at Decent. Yeah, no, I think you guys have figured it out, and I hope I hope that it's going to continue to evolve in this manner. But you, it sounds like you guys have figured out through the direct primary care and through this incentive alignment how to align like the bigger picture because there's multiple players involved here. I mean, we have you know insurance industry, hospitals, individual doctors who also you know they're human beings and they get paid a salary or they get yeah. paid kind of right. So so we need to think about them. And one important thing I I, I think about often is, and I've had this conversation with my father oftentimes before neither of us are in the medical field but we've talked about this is you know we we at a time and, and maybe even to this day uh we feel that some doctors could be overpaid right on one hand right they, they could make a lot of money if they're in private practice and what uh, we're not i mean they could they could potentially be making hundreds of thousands or or, or even more mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, per year right so <clears throat> so uh, on one hand that's a fact on the other hand i strongly feel that doctors need to be the best and the brightest because they care for the thing that's most important to us and to our loved ones is our health, right? So we want to incentivize the best possible people to want to go through this grueling, uh, you know, years of study and, and all this hard work for no pay or little pay that they put in and then become doctors and continue to be doctors and not switch gears and go into, uh, you know, sales and marketing or something. I want to, I'm going to sound like a stand for doctors and I am a child of doctors with many doctors in my family. I love doctors. So when I say this, you know, take it with whatever grain of salt you want. Most of the people who got into that industry did not do it for the money. Some of them did. Uh, they're called surgeons. But, but the, rest of them, <laughs> the rest of them, especially family practice doctors, people that see you know, the, the employees and the freelancers and the families and the kids, our, our sons uh, of America at the end of the day, they got into this 
not just for the money. And I'm not just talking out of my ear here. This is what direct primary care represents. It is the rebel alliance stepping outside of this fee-for-service insurance-driven system. And what you're seeing is some of them make more money doing it that way. Many of them don't. And the funny thing about labor that nobody thinks about is if your job sucks, people have to pay you more to do it. And so a lot of these people are stepping out that existing system. They're working harder. This is part of why we want to serve direct primary care doctors is because they do have to do a lot of sales and marketing for their own job. Just like the self-employed people that we serve, they're doing two businesses. They're being doctors and then they're trying to run their medical practice for the first time. When we can serve those people, what we see is with or without us, they're already happier. Whether they're making more money or not, they're already happier. Money can get people a little confused, but folks that are as clear-eyed as many doctors are about why they got into the business ultimately are deciding they're not willing to be slaves to money anymore. And, and all we're doing is trying to support that trend. This is not a revolution being driven by decent. We are happy to take a back seat. But what we're seeing in American healthcare is that people, whether they be self-employed freelance their, as their families, whether they be primary care doctors, even some of these big hospital systems and these partners that have been amazing early partners to decent, folks are fed up. And because most of them got into it for good reasons, and I really believe that, we are helping to support that change. So let's talk a little bit about blockchain. Uh, you, you've teased it a couple of times. How do you guys utilize or plan on utilizing the blockchain? Uh, so the short answer is to make prices and quality transparent, to reduce administrative costs, and to align incentives. But I'll give you a little bit more color on those. And before I do, you know, I raised, we raised about 8 million bucks from some great investors uh, in the Bay Area earlier this year. You know, we, we talked about our plans to use blockchain for super boring things. And at the time, it was very in vogue to talk about using blockchain to transform the world and unlock behaviors no one had ever seen before. And I was like the, I was like the geek. Honestly, it reminded me of freshman year in high school. There's all these cool kids, and I'm the geek that goes, well, I, I actually like Lord of the Rings. Well, I actually think that this technology could just be used to save people money, and that's it. And we got laughed at sometimes. It actually kind of hurt, <laughs> just like high school. It, it kind of hurt to hear, you know, that's not cool enough. That's not a non-skeuomorphic behavior I heard a lot from investors who I will not name. And it turns out that some of the folks that said, we're going to unlock these new human behaviors have not been able to do that yet. And I can give you a charitable view of why that is that really gets back to the long-term vision for blockchain. What this thing is really good at is reducing overhead in low trust systems with transactions between multiple parties, making data non-fungible and transparent. So once it's up, nobody can take it down, which happens in healthcare all the time. So the near-term goals sound a little more modest than we're going to send people to Mars on the blockchain. We're going to make price and quality data more transparent and available to people. We're going to use smart contracts to reduce the costs of administering the huge admin overhead of a traditional health insurance play. You know, what I told my team is, here's how I imagine it. And they're probably getting ready for some big... And I said, imagine an income statement. And this is an income statement for a traditional health insurance carrier. Now look at the administrative overhead cell in that income statement. We want that to go down using blockchain. And like nobody was inspired, but everybody got, that's the game. Now I do want to come back to that long-term play. The reason that a lot of these big picture projects haven't worked is because nobody wants to say this word yet, but the promise of blockchain is to create new economies unto themselves. An economy doesn't mean there's got to be a federal reserve and it doesn't mean that it's a government entity. 
It means systems of trade and incentive where people are motivated to do the things that they want to do to support the system. It's very hard to do that quickly. But a very clear version of that is imagine if every time you made a smart health choice, you got a little bit of stock in your health system. How you advise to do that, you might be able to cash it out. Or if you thought that the health system was going to continue to get more efficient over time, you might hold on to it. If we can get 10% of our members talking about their health insurance, the way that some of my beloved friends in the blockchain space talk about Bitcoin, that's a transformative system because we're creating a new economy around healthcare. And I think that's the long-term game we're playing. Well, yeah, you, you guys have actually, you know, you're thinking about all the right things, in my opinion. So what's next for Decent? I mean, what's kind of the short term? I mean, we've got a few months left to this year. And what's sort of the big, the big picture? Can you give us a preview? Yeah, so we're getting ready for our first open enrollment period, which is when roughly 95% of health insurance sales are made in the individual market. And that'll be a really big one for us. And I think we're gearing up to have it go really well. Uh, we will be expanding beyond Austin to additional cities in Texas next year and probably to an additional state as well. And just to reiterate it, you know, this is affordable health insurance for self-employed people starting in Austin, Texas. Our plans are the lowest cost, comprehensive plans on the market, and you can buy them year-round at decent.com. That's a pretty good start, but we have some pretty neat stuff coming even for the 2020 plan year. In terms of new plans that offer new flexibility and even lower prices for some people, I really want to make sure that the people that are getting plans through us and the Texas Freelance Association are delighted by the plans they're getting. My job is to make sure that we have happy customers. Once we can make sure that this really works and they're being well-served, I think we'll earn the right to scale this and expand. And we want to take it big. We've talked a lot about, you know, we want to serve a billion people. Now you can think about what that means. There aren't a billion people in America. There aren't even a billion people in, you know, specific types of, of private insurance. Our aspirations are really big here, but we need to smart start small and make sure we've really got those incentives lined up and that's translating to happy members and happy doctors. And you know, that's, that's all in the years to come. Wow. Amazing stuff. Nick, you guys are tackling a monumental problem, a monumental task here. And I think you guys are going about it the right way. I wish you the best of luck. Uh, this is a huge, huge thing. And I, I do wish you guys uh, to succeed in, in the near future in the long term. Thank you so much for talking with us. I appreciate that. And I want to, I want to wrap it with a little bit of modesty. You know, you say that we're an early stage seed funded company. We're all trying to figure this out as we go. We need allies and we have some amazing and powerful allies and we want more. If you think you might be an ally to this or if what I've said resonates at all, whether it's on the blockchain side or what Carilla said related to healthcare, I'm Nick at decent.com. In order to do what we're setting out to do, we're going to need all the help we can get. And uh, whether you're the Austin, Texas market or not, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, any, anytime I can have a conversation, Carilla, even like this one with you, I, I leave it feeling a little bit invigorated to keep fighting. Awesome, man. I'm, I'm glad to be talking with you. And as I said, I will put out all the links to all the relevant uh, media that we discussed. And I wish you the best of luck. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you, Carilla. Thank you.